Hey guys, I'm Daniel Herring, and welcome to the At Home PT Podcast, where I'm going to use my 10 years of clinical experience as a sports specialist in physical therapy to talk about a wide range of topics, ranging from injury prevention to the treatment of common injuries and a lot more. Let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the third episode of the AVP series, where we're going to be talking about hip tightness. In today's episode, we're going to start segment one, talking about some symptoms and potential causes of hip tightness. In the second segment, we're going to get into myths and half-truths around hip tightness. And then in the third segment, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about different treatment options for hip tightness. Before we get into all that, just remember that if you haven't already, subscribe to the show and leave a five-star review. Those really help me get this show off the ground. If you have already, make sure to tell all your family and friends about this and leave me uh, feedback via email or whatever method you would like to. That helps me improve this show day after day. So let's go ahead and get into our first segment where we're going to talk about symptoms and causes of hip tightness. Now in the AVP, which is a professional beach volleyball tournament, the tightness that I saw was mostly tightness in the muscles on the outside of your hips. That's your glutes and uh, some of the other lateral hip muscles. And that was more common. And then we also did see some tightness spreading over into the hip flexors or the muscles in the front of your hip. Now, where you get this tightness is going to depend partly on what sport you're participating in. When I've worked with track and field with LSU in the past, we saw a lot of hip flexor tightness, especially in sprinters, because that's the muscle they're really using. So where you see this tightness can depend on which sport you play and the demands put on your hips from that sport. But the cause is really going to be pretty much the same. And for my money, the main cause is going to be hip weakness and a secondary would be a lack of mobility. But it's going to be both of these things combined with overuse in the sport. When you play a sport that requires a lot of repetitive movement. So in volleyball, there's a lot of max effort jumping. In track and field, there's a lot of max effort sprinting. That's just by definition overuse for what these muscles were originally designed to do. So when you take that maximum effort and you put that on top of a little weakness or a little stiffness, that's where you can get this pathology. So when we look at volleyball players getting tightness on the outside of their hips, in my opinion, the primary factor there is weakness in these muscles on the outside of your hip. Those muscles' job is to stabilize your pelvis to control the side-to-side movement in your knees, not necessarily prevent, but control, and then to contract maximally to provide force to jump off the ground with. And when you do that repeatedly over and over with muscles that just aren't as strong as they should be, they tend to tighten up, okay? Now, that's not to say other factors can't play in, like a lack of mobility, a lack of internal and external range of motion, or a lack of flexion mobility, allowing you to get down into a deep squat and then explode out of that squat absolutely can play in. But I think for what we're doing in this podcast, where I want to help you with things you can do at home to have an impact right now, I think that lateral hip strength is the the most important thing to focus on while also addressing some of those other factors. With sprinters, it's probably more weakness in those hip flexors and then a lack of range of motion into hip extension where your leg goes back behind you. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in later segments. So, That's going to kind of cover us for causes and symptoms. We're going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, we're going to get into some really interesting myths and half-truths around hip tightness. So stick around. 
Now for segment two, we're going to get into myths and half-truths around hip tightness. And I really like the term half-truths because everything we talk about here is going to be based in some truth. They're mostly just going to be things that are oversold or slightly misunderstood. So the first thing we're going to get into is IT band tightness or IT band syndrome. And with this one, I'm probably talking more to the medical providers than to the patients themselves because the medical providers are really the ones that should know better, okay? At a tournament like the AVP, you are going to hear countless people come up to you and say, I have IT band tightness or IT band syndrome. Another really common group for this is long distance runners. Anybody with repetitive use on their legs is this is going to be a really common diagnosis. It's something that has gotten really popular over the last about 10 years in orthopedics. And it's something that as a physical therapist, I get referred all the time to me for IT band syndrome. People come in, hey, I have a tight IT band. I need to stretch it out. Or they'll come, people come to you at a tournament. I have a tight IT band. Can you help me stretch this out? My problem with this is twofold and they're really kind of one. First is that the IT band cannot get tight on its own. What I mean by that, the IT band is a tendon. Tendons are connective tissue that attach muscles to bone, and they really don't have the ability to contract on their own. So without the ability to contract, they can't really get tight. When you're seeing tightness in IT band, really what you're seeing is tightness from the lateral hip muscles or the lateral quadricep and hamstring muscles. And that tightness is usually caused by weakness of the lateral hip muscles because their primary job is to stabilize your pelvis when you run or jump. And when they don't do their job and the pelvis, the pelvis rocks up and down some, you get irritation and the IT band gets quote unquote tight. But really what it is is the surrounding muscles that are tight. And if you address them, the IT band loosens up on its own. Which is the second part is IT band tightness, it exists, but it's a symptom, not a cause. The cause is weakness in the hips. The second myth or half truth we're going to go over is hip alignment. This is another really common one in sports where athletes constantly think their hips are out of alignment. I have a few problems with this. First, as a physical therapist, you have to ask yourself the question, can we even assess hip alignment? There has been mounting research over the last five to 10 years that tells us that we probably cannot even appreciate subtle changes in hip alignment. Now, there are going to be some athletes who have major changes in hip alignment, and with those, we can see it. But as a therapist, as a chiropractor, as a physician, if you are diagnosing hip, hip misalignment a lot, you probably need to second guess yourself and wonder if you're actually feeding into your own confirmation bias. Because most of the research is showing that we physically are incapable of perceiving subtle changes in hip alignment. My other problem is this isn't very common. We used to think it was really common. We used to check every athlete for it. We've come to realize hip alignment issues really aren't that common. So if we're diagnosing it all the time, we probably need to second guess ourselves. And then my third problem here again is that this is a symptom, not a cause, or at least the way you should look at it, okay? If your hips are out of alignment, that means that your hips are a little instable. Every joint lives on a spectrum of stability and strength, or mobility and strength. And some joints are really mobile, but they're not very strong. Some joints are really strong, but they're not very mobile. If your hips are out of alignment, that means that your hip joints are really mobile, but they're not very strong. And the way to address this 
is strengthening your core and hip muscles. So you don't need to look at this as a debilitating thing or that this is the cause of your problems. Instead, you need to look at strengthening your hips. And then when your hips stay in alignment, a lot of other things are going to fall into place as well. The third thing I have is leg length discrepancies. This is a real quick one. Um, the thing here is leg length discrepancies are actually much more common than we used to think they were. And they're only relevant if they're more than two centimeters. So if you have a subtle leg length discrepancy, that's probably not affecting your symptoms. And then the last one is arthritis. This is one we shouldn't have to talk about too much with athletes, but unfortunately, sometimes we do. Because it is very rare to find pathological arthritis in anyone under the age of 40. It does happen, but it's rare. The reason so many athletes get diagnosed with arthritis is because too many medical practitioners rely solely on imaging, x-rays, and MRIs. And as a patient, as a, as a consumer, you're thinking, well, can't they go on the x-ray and see that I have decreased joint space and see the arthritis? Not really. You can see decreased joint space, but that's not how you diagnose arthritis. Arthritis has to be findings on an image combined with clinical findings during an evaluation. So things like hip internal rotation less than 30 degrees, pain and stiffness first thing in the morning that lasts longer than 30 minutes. And then there are several others. But without these clinical findings, just shooting an x-ray or an MRI and seeing these findings don't mean anything. Because research is showing more and more that in the general po healthy population, 50 to 75% of people are going to have arthritis or bulging discs on an x-ray or an MRI. But that doesn't mean it's causing any problems for them. So these findings are actually normal. So if you're an athlete under 40 years old and you're being told that you have arthritis in your joints, I would second guess that and I would go get a second opinion because the odds of that being the cause of your limitations are very rare. Okay, so that wraps up my segment on myths and half-truths. We're going to take another break. When we get back, we're going to talk about treatment. So this is the part you're really want, going to want to hear. I'll see you in a few. Welcome back for the third and final segment of today's episode. In this segment, we're going to get into treatment for hip tightness. So we're going to start this off with a good warm-up. This is going to be part that you should do before any athletic competition. You should never go out and just play cold. You should always have a good warm-up. Now, one thing I want to start off talking about is anything is better than nothing. And what I mean that by that is I don't want you to hear me saying that there's very specific warm-ups that you have to do. And then you stop doing the warm-up you were doing and end up not doing enough. As long as you are doing something for your warm-up, that's better than getting paralysis by analysis and just not doing anything. So if you're doing something, definitely keep doing that. I just want to help you hone that in a little bit and see if we can make it a little more specific to the sport that you're playing. One of the first tenets we have is the time. How long should a good warm-up take? Normally, a good warm-up is going to be about 10 to 15 minutes. Somewhere in there is usually enough time to kind of get warm, to get your nervous system going, to get blood flowing, and to really kind of prepare you for your sport. Another good way to look at that is you should have a really good sweat going by the time you play. A lot of people are afraid of making themselves tired before they play, but I don't think that's something you typically have to worry too much about. If you have a good rolling sweat going before you start your sport, you're going to move better and you're not going to have that cold start where it takes you half the game to get warmed up and going. Another important tenet is that your warm-up should resemble your sport. So if your sport requires a lot of jumping, there should be some jumping and marching and lunging type movements in your warm-up. 
if your uh, sport requires a lot of sprinting, there should be movements like A skips and B skips and things like that that are involved that mimic striking the ground and driving your knees up quickly. So whatever your sport is, you want your warm-up to resemble, to look somewhat similar to that sport. Another important thing is the type of stretching you can do during your warm-up. And there are two types of stretching mainly. There's dynamic stretching and static stretching. And for your warm-up, you want to lean toward dynamic stretching. Dynamic stretching is less hold time and more fluid movements. So typically, if you hold, it's going to be for about 10 seconds maximum, but it may be two or three seconds. It may not even be a hold. It may just be a nice fluid movement, but you want to do nice fluid movements that take you through a large range of motion and, again, kind of mimic your sport. good thing about dynamic warm-up is it really primes your nervous system. It kind of gets the muscles going with that brain-to-body connection. It gets the muscles used to firing and used to doing those specific movements. If you want some examples of what to do for volleyball, if you go to my Instagram page, The At Home PT, there were videos that I shot last year that aren't very far down on the page because honestly, I just haven't posted a lot yet that show a really good upper body warm-up and a really good lower body warm-up before we play volleyball. It's only about four exercises long, so it doesn't take long. So you can go through some of that, go through a little peppering for your volleyball, and you'll be in great shape. Now, the next part we're gonna get into is what I think is probably the most important thing for making changes right now in at home, and that's strengthening. We talked about this in the first episode. I think the main problem, especially for volleyball players, is strength on the outside of your hips. The reason for that being, most of our training programs mostly work the front and back. We do lunges, we do squats, we do deadlifts. Everything you do goes in what we call the sagittal plane, which is forward and backward. We don't do a lot of training in the frontal plane, which is side to side. And that's where these muscles, these lateral hip muscles live, your gluteus medius, your gluteus minimus, your piriformis. I think that if people just do a few of these at home, you're going to see a dramatic decrease in hip tightness. And that goes all the way from recreational to professional athletes. It doesn't take a lot. But if you do a little bit at home on these, these muscles, it's going to change everything about you. Now, tra- training hip flexion, hip extension, things like that, they're good too. Don't get me wrong. All stre- any strengthening you can do is fantastic, and I'm here for it. But the primary thing you need to strengthen is your lateral hips. The exercises I really like for this are very simple. You can do them at home. You can find these on my YouTube page. I did a series on a two-episode series on patellar tendonitis, and if you go to the strengthening video, these are in that video. They're going to be clamshells and leg raises laying on your side. I have also talked about these previously in my podcast on episode, I believe it was two on patellar tendonitis, because these things help both hips and knees. But with these clamshells and sideline hip abduction or straight leg raises, what you're going to do is three sets of 10 on both sides with about a 30 second to two minute rest break between sets, whatever you feel like you need to get it done. Okay. I like to do these as a precursor to my heavy lifts. So when you're going to go to the gym, you're going to do these before you work out as part of your warm up. If you're not working out that day, you can just do these once a day at home. Doesn't matter when you do them. Just whatever works best for you. If you're currently having a lot of hip tightness, then I would say do these three times a day. Do these morning, midday, and evening before you go to bed. And then as your hips get healthier and less tight, you can decrease that to once a day and make these a part of your normal training session. But doing those two is really, they seem simple, 
But if you do them correctly, you will feel a burn in your hips. And if you get to where you can do them without a big burn, it's great to do these in a side plank position, and that will bring the burn right back. They seem simple. A lot of people are going to fuss that they're not functional functional enough. But I'm telling you, if I from my 10 years of experience as a sports-based physical therapist, I have treated many people with these issues. These are the main two exercises I use, and they work like a charm. The third thing we're going to talk about in treatment, we talked about earlier again, is flexibility or mobility. Mobility work is always important for anything we do. We want to be flexible. We want to be mobile. That means being able to get in and out of a deep squat, being able to rotate our hips, things like that, without pinching, without tightness. So the four main movements for your hip to really work on are extension, one of the bigger ones, being able to bring your leg behind your body, flexion, bringing your knee to your chest, or internal and external rotation. There are a few little stretches you can do that'll really help out with these. Some of my favorites, the extension is a half kneeling hip flexor stretch where you kneel down on one knee, keep your back and hips straight in alignment, and then lean forward where your knee stays behind your body and you should feel a good stretch in the front of your hip. And we're gonna hold this for 30 seconds and do it three times. Now again, this is a static stretch because it's a 30 second hold, which means it's gonna decrease your force output for about three hours after. So you don't wanna do this before you play or it can actually decrease your vertical height or your sprint speed. But you're gonna do these either after you compete or on days that you don't compete because it only lasts for about two or three hours. But that static stretch, that longer hold, is theoretically gonna help you gain range of motion, help you actually lengthen those muscles. And then you wanna make sure you're doing some strengthening stuff after to back that up. For the internal and external rotations, you're gonna do what's called a Z stretch or a hip 90-90 stretch, which are very similar, slightly different, but you're gonna sit on the ground, you're gonna drop one knee to the floor in front of you and the other out to the side and flip back and forth. And the same thing, you can do brief holds back and forth, or you can hold that for 30 seconds three times, kind of whatever feels comfortable. But as long as you're working into those motions, that's gonna help out a lot. And then my favorite for flexion is just getting down into a deep squat. And not everybody can. So some something that really helps with that sometimes is holding onto a pole or a wall in front of you and kind of walking yourself down into that deep squat while you're holding onto something can make it a lot easier and really have you get down into that end range of hip flexion. And speaking of that, I also really love functional stretches like the hip 9090s, like the deep squats, like a pigeon pose. You can uh, Google or YouTube a pigeon pose really easy. It's a yoga pose that really works on hip rotation. These things are great. Working on hip mobility is only going to help. And then the last facet of treatment to think about is your training volume. This is another really important thing that if you overtrain, sometimes it doesn't matter what you do, you're always going to have tight hips. So the important factor here, the important take home is, you shouldn't be training hard every day of the week. No one's body can take that. You have to schedule recovery days. So if you're going to run or jump maximally, sprinting, jumping high, you know, playing a volleyball game where you jump 20, 30 times in a game, that counts as a workout. And just like you wouldn't go lift heavy five days a week, you don't need to do those things five days a week and you don't need to play volleyball three days a week and then lift heavy twice a week because that's still the workout every day of the week. So when you're in season and you're playing a lot of recreational volleyball or something like that, you may want to think about decreasing your heavy lift days to once or twice a week. Some of that depends on everybody's a little bit different. I do well personally if I'm going to play volleyball at least twice a week with one heavy lift day. I need my heavy lift day. If I'm playing volleyball three times, I still have to find a day to lift heavy. But I don't do well with lifting more than once. I have friends who like to lift heavy 
twice a week when they're playing two or three times a week, and that's fine. But you need to make sure you have at least one or two recovery days scheduled in to your plan every week to let your body bounce back, to let your body heal. You're also going to need to make sure that you're getting a good amount of sleep. Eight hours is a recommendation. Plenty of water and a healthy diet. These things are crucial. People talk a lot about compression stockings, compression garments, ice baths, saunas, all this stuff for recovery. The research doesn't support any of that. Okay, It doesn't say it's bad, but it does not say that it works. When you look at research, research talks about plenty of sleep, plenty of water, healthy diet. That's the best thing you can do for recovery. So consider your training volume. If you're working, if you're feeling a lot of hip tightness, make sure you're getting your recovery days. Make sure you're getting the other things you need and really make sure you are strengthening the outside of your hips. That is something that if you do it at home right now, it will help you get better as quickly as possible to play your sport at a high level. And that's going to wrap it up for me for today. So if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email at daniel at the athomept.com. Leave comments in any form that you like. And until next time, I will see you guys later.